Welcome to Essential Salt, a podcast that brings you stories reported on by students at the Salt Institute for Documentary Studies. This series is produced by Maine Public in partnership with Salt. I'm your host, Lucy Suchak. In each episode of Essential Salt, we'll bring you stories that go beyond the headlines to capture something true, something unexpected, something essential about the state of Maine and the people who live here. Let's get started. Maine is home for an increasingly diverse population as old and new cultures and beliefs collide, bend and weave together to create something unique and unexpected every day. A constant in all that change is the desire for home and community, a place to feel safe and accepted. This Essential Salt episode explores three very different journeys to finding just that place. Episode 3, Home. Back in 2003, Ben Harvey walked into the LH Karaoke Lounge in Portland and found himself transported to Southeast Asia through the sounds of Vietnamese karaoke. His experience was not unique, and in fact, was why the lounge was crowded each time he visited. Yem Lee and her husband created a space where their community could connect and reminisce through song, a space that Ben noted was as close to home as they can get. Welcome to Ben's segment, LH Karaoke Lounge. There's a small building on St. John Street in Portland, Maine, covered with a few too many signs for its size. Pawn shop, travel agency, custom alterations, Vietnamese restaurant, and the brightest sign, illuminated in green, LH Karaoke Lounge. Inside, a small crowd sits on metal chairs under strings of colored lights. At the front of the room, a singer bathes in the glow of a giant video screen. He sways from side to side, gripping the microphone as his song blasts from two large speakers. The next singer has chosen a sad ballad. He says he misses his ex-wife. The mic is never idle for very long. As one patron says, it's good to talk, but we're here to sing. Now on the mic is Yem Lee, owner of the lounge. Two of Yem's children were fathered by American soldiers during the Vietnam War. She came to Portland as part of a national program granting immigration rights to families of Asians with mixed American parentage. When Yem and her family first arrived in Portland, they worked late shifts, processing sea urchins on Commercial Street and lunch meat at Jordan's Foods. We work hard, we make money, have a better life. In Vietnam, my family is poor, so I call American. I have money, and I help my family in Vietnam. In 1998, Yem and her husband started their own travel agency. Next, they added a temp agency, and then a tailor shop and a pawn shop, all in the same tiny building. Finally, less than a year ago, Yem opened the karaoke lounge and restaurant. Around here, we don't have to play for Asian, so we try to open Asian play for funny, you know. At the bar, two ceramic Buddhas share counter space with the cocktail napkins. The Vietnamese patrons nurse their Heinekens and dip dried squid into a spicy sauce. In the back, Lazy Nguyen laughs with his friends while flipping through the plastic binder of song titles. Vietnamese, you know, most people that they know how to sing, and most family they have a karaoke at home too, but they try to go to the karaoke play, you know, it's just competition, like, you know, 
you want to hear people sing, you know, because if you sing by yourself, you know, you don't feel nothing. On Saturday night, the lounge is packed with young people like Lazzy. Sunday nights, it's an older crowd and a lot more laid back. Most of the patrons are immigrants from Vietnam and Cambodia. Wayne is one of the exceptions. And it's easier for me to sing in the Vietnamese than it is in English. Wayne works for the Lee family at their furniture store across the street from the lounge. He traveled to Vietnam for four months with Yen's son. That's where he became a karaoke fan. There's no way to sing it wrong. Sometimes they sing better, sometimes they sing worse, whatever, but everybody applauds because it takes something to stand up and do that. You're able to release in singing and you, you, you leave there feeling good, and that's what it is. And you are tuning in the Vietnamese Melodies program on WMPG 90.9. Tayan Vu hosts a weekly Vietnamese music show on Portland's community radio station, WMPG. You just listened to a song called A Last Moment of Love performed by Huy Tâm. Before that, Tayan plays a lot of the same songs that are popular at the lounge. Karaoke is very popular in the Vietnamese community here in the Portland area or in the United States. I think every household, there's one karaoke machine. and They just use the music to express themselves. Tayan says the emotion they're expressing is usually love. I think that everybody, at some point in their life, they have to love someone, right? They cannot just share the, you know, the love that they have, but they use the song since they cannot say it out loud because that would be too uh, embarrassing to do. But there are other kinds of songs, too. Back at the lounge, the mood has changed. On the video screen is a jungle encampment. South Vietnamese soldiers lie in ditches and against bunker walls, weary from battle. Their M16s rest on their laps. One soldier stands and begins to sing passionately, clutching his helmet to his chest. Sometimes, Yem's customers sing songs about the military conflict the Vietnamese call the American War. Let the mother lost son, let the wife lost husband, the wife be love sick. Sometimes he not come back, so the chung kind of song like that too. In one song, a pilot on a bombing run to Hanoi is shot down and captured. He sings from behind the bars of a POW camp. In another, a soldier sadly greets the new year in the jungle and laments the struggle that divides his homeland. Lazzy still sings these songs, even though he was born after the war. I don't know, I just sing that song because that song, you know, make me think, you know what I mean? Just, I just want to share that song that people wrote down, you know what I mean? And how they feel that I've been feeling with them too, you know what I mean? These songs portray the war from the South Vietnamese side. The majority of Vietnamese in America, like radio DJ Tayan Vu, are from the South and fled the country after the communist victory. People are still um, hurt by, by, by the war, and, uh, and war song is a tool for them to express themselves, how hurt they are, and in trying to cope with um, the loss that they have. Not so much of uh, mourning, but so much of uh, telling the story about how the war affects people's lives and their lives. Back in the lounge, the video screen blazes with a montage of scenes from Vietnam. Hundreds of islands dot a pristine bay. Green rice paddies tumble down a hillside. It's a fantasy Vietnam of dreams and travel brochures. 
But tonight, for the customers at the LH Karaoke Lounge, it's as close to home as they can get. In a 2008 piece called Saudi, My Voice, Emily Eagle highlighted the life of Daniela Renyambo, a refugee from the Congo who grew up around political and ethnic violence. Emily reported on how Daniela was not allowed a voice in her country, but how her love and prowess with language created community everywhere she went. Freedom means many things for many people, and for Daniela, being able to openly express herself set her free. My name is Daniela Runyambo. I'm 17 years old. I speak very well for language. I speak French. I speak Kiswahili. It's from Congo. I speak Kenya Rwanda. It's from Rwanda. And I speak English. <laughs> I try to speak English. <laughs> Daniela Runyambo is a refugee from the Congo. I make friends easily because I love to talk to everybody. And she's learned languages and made friends in three countries. She's lived through a lot, and she wants to share her experiences with the world. I am that kind of girl who, I don't know, who want to make a change. In my country, in Africa, in somebody's life. She's always loved to talk, but she hasn't always been able to speak freely. I couldn't even talk about about me. I couldn't even talk about my family. I couldn't even talk about where I come from. I, I was even um, in Congo sometime. I, I wish that I, I wasn't who I am right now. Daniela is Benamarenge, an ethnic and cultural minority that's been persecuted in West Africa. In school, her classmates and even some of her teachers told her that she wasn't Congolese. Her dad was a doctor, and her family enjoyed a level of material comfort. And we had, like, we had everything we wanted, but we didn't have freedom. Daniela grew up surrounded by political and ethnic violence. War broke out in 1996, and militia started killing minorities, including the Ben Merengue people. Daniela's family fled to Rwanda. Um, in French, they say refuge, so a place where you can hide, you can feel more free. So when we went to Rwanda, we were to a place where we can be who we are. We can feel good of who we are. Daniela learned Kinyarwanda, a language connected to our family's tribal roots. Kinyarwanda gave her a voice that allowed her to be herself. Her family returned to the Congo a few years later, but soon the violence started again. I'm not, I'm not a Congolese anymore. Like in my country, I don't have peace. In my country, I don't have freedom. In my country, I can't say anything. Daniela escaped the conflict for good when the United States granted her family asylum. I could die like so many years like ago, but I didn't. I didn't die, and nothing happened to me. Nothing happened to my family. Why? That means that I have to do something. That means that I have something to, to do first before I die. In 2007, Daniela and her family settled in Portland, Maine. I was scared about it. I was like, okay, I'm going to go there. I don't know anything. And if I start talking, they're going to make fun of me. 
but that wasn't what I saw here. When she arrived, she was worried about finding another voice. My first year um, in Poland High School, I didn't know any English, and I started like to zero. That was a year and a half ago. Daniela's learned really quickly. She says it's because she's not shy, and she talks to everybody that she can. Yes, it's really amazing when people understand you, even when you don't speak that much English. But I want to know English. In less than a year, Daniela graduated out of English as a second language classes and into mainstream English. Even though she's been studying English, she still speaks her other languages because they're part of who she is. She prays in French, and she gets to speak Kinyarwanda with friends from West Africa. <laughs> At home, she playfully teases her siblings in Swahili and sings pop songs with her sisters. Each language comes with its own attitude, its own identity. Most often, English is the language of responsibility. Daniela translates for her mom at doctor's appointments and parent-teacher conferences. She also helps her siblings. Right now, my dad just told me to go to see my little brother and to see if he has any homework. So I'm going to ask him in the room. They are watching TV. Jonathan, who going to homework? My dad always tell me that uh, I have to take care of my brothers and sister when I grow up. Uh, he's getting older, my mom getting older too, and I'm kind of the biggest one, so I have to, to know my responsibility. Daniela and her siblings quickly switch between languages. But outside the house, Daniela focuses on speaking English perfectly. I don't know what I can do without learning English. Like, I'm in this country. I have all the opportunity to do whatever I want. But I have to learn English first to do everything. She's anxious to speak so she can share. I want to be a doctor one day. She wants to go back to Africa and to build hospitals. She also wants to build schools and to educate women and help them start businesses. She doesn't want to forget her other languages. They're a part of who she is. And she knows that she's got a way to communicate with the rest of the world. If I go in Europe, I'm pretty sure that so many people know French and English. And in every country in Africa, one of those people, all those people, knows Swahili. French, English, Swahili, those three languages all over the world know those languages. So I think I'm a blessed girl. Daniela won't forget where she came from, but she's ready to let her voice be heard. Lately, Emily Eagle has taken her storytelling skills to a new realm, graphic design. She still loves radio and hopes to use her design chops in tandem with audio to create dynamic multimedia. Daniela is currently the co-executive director of Programs and Community Impact at the Refugee Community Partnership in Hillsborough, North Carolina. What happens when you find your home? but you don't technically belong there. Casey Georgie shares the story of Manny Pena and Karen Rasmussen. 
Today, Manny and Karen are a happily married couple living in South Portland, running their restaurant Taco Trio. But that almost didn't happen for them. This segment, The Rest is History, is less about finding community and more about holding on to it. <laughs> I don't know if I can remember the day we met. I do. Oh. <laughs> Karen and Manny are exchanging glances and giggling like two kids. They're in their 50s. They first met in 2005 at a Mexican restaurant in North Carolina. And the rest is history. The rest is history. <laughs> Karen and Manny now have their own restaurant, Taco Trio, in South Portland. Manny first came to the United States from Mexico in the late 80s, illegally. For years afterward, he tried to adjust his status. Like most people, Karen and Manny thought getting married could help. But since he wasn't in the system at all, he had no status. And marrying a U.S. citizen couldn't change that. Then, in 2014, Manny was diagnosed with metastatic prostate cancer. He was given one to three years to live. So Karen and Manny began looking into options for treatment and surgery. They also revisited the immigration question, and they learned of something called the hardship rule. They would never probably ever see any greater hardship on me than the possibility of having my husband deported with a terminal illness. And to win their case, Karen would have to show the burden it put on her, the U.S. citizen, as a spouse to an undocumented immigrant. That's such a weird, kind of backwards way of looking at it, in a way. Instead of saying, he brings this business, he's supporting people, you know, employing 17 people. It's more like, what would I lose out if he couldn't stay and do that? Their lawyers told them to gather letters from doctors, banks, and other references. And then came the hard part. Manny had to return to the border and cross back into the U.S., this time legally. Manny could be denied, which he says he was more afraid of than the cancer. But it was their only option. In Juarez, people crowded the streets surrounding the consulate, a three-story gray building with barred windows. Inside... So many people. So so many people. And you just kind of get herded around like cattle. It's just this endless sitting and waiting only to be moved into another room. When they call you, you think, oh, this is it. Nope. (laughs) We're just going to another room. After something called a biometric screening... Manny had a medical exam with a doctor. She gave me a physical, and then and then she asked me if I had used uh, marijuana. I said yes, and this is the reason why. Do not lie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't lie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Manny had a medical marijuana prescription for his cancer from Maine, where it's legal. And he thought he'd be given a drug test anyway. So why hide it? Well, in my mind, I, I, I didn't do anything wrong. But as soon as he admitted to using marijuana, the doctor took Manny into another room to be interrogated. All, all that emotion mm-hmm. running through through your heart and 
all these questions in, in your brain about what is going to happen now to me, what am I going mm -hmm. to do? He was then taken back to the room where Karen was waiting. I saw that he's like, his head is down, and he, and then I got even closer, and I see all the tears, and you were telling me that you ruined it. You ruined everything. That's the only time you cried through this whole thing. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was very stressful. It, it, it did put me over the edge. I, I had that feeling that I wasn't going back in the U.S. The next day, Manny was called to a long row of partitions for his interview. After some questioning, he was sent away. Unfortunately, and, uh, unfortunately, and he had this little blue slip yeah. of paper that Here, said we were you can here. You can apply, you can reapply next year. And so all, all these thoughts of what am I going to do now? Now I'm in a, <laughs> I, I, I'm where I'm supposed to be, but I'm... I'm I'm thinking that I'm also supposed to be here in, in, the, the in, in the U.S. Not only had U.S. Customs and Immigration had denied Manny permanent residency, it had also denied him re-entry into the U.S., where Manny had lived for half of his life and where he was scheduled to have surgery. They began calling their senators. Eventually, someone from the office of Senator Angus King called the Border Patrol and asked that they reconsider their decision and allow Manny back in for his cancer treatment. Manny and Karen went back to the border. And finally, at the end of the day, that disheveled border deputy came out and was kind of mean to us and threw a little piece of paper in your lap and said, I'm sorry for your illness, but the least you can do is have some respect for the laws of our country. The official said he was giving Manny a 30-day humanitarian pass in the country for medical care. I, I was numb. I was drained. I was um, in shock. We both were. But, um, yeah. Because I remember when we were saying, yes, yeah, yeah. sir, yes, sir. Yes, and then when he yes. walked off, okay. we just kind of okay. picked up our stuff and said, okay, let's go. When they got back to Maine and brought the pass to their local immigration office, Manny was in the system as a B-2. A B-2 is a visitor visa that allows people to apply for permanent residency. So Manny did. On January 6, 2016, Manny was finally approved as a permanent resident. Next month will be my three years. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still here. And Dr. Cher in New York says he should plan to grow old. When I talk to people about it, about this whole process, uh, sometimes I do tell them that that's what's going to kill me. And it probably will. Yeah, I'm not so yeah, sure that prostate yeah. cancer is going to kill you. I think you're going to do something <laughs> foolish. <laughs> Casey Georgie graduated from SALT in 2017, and today is a freelance podcast producer living in Pittsburgh. 
producing the show Cheat. Manny Pena and Karen Rasmussen still run Taco Trio. In fact, in 2021, they expanded to a bigger space up the road. Essential Salt is a production of the Salt Institute for Documentary Studies at the Maine College of Art and Design in partnership with Maine Public. Essential Salt is produced by Lucy Santerre and me, Lucy Suchak. The role of contributing writer and editor is aptly filled by Isaac Kestenbaum, the director of The Salt. Our Essential Salt theme song is by Q Shop. You can find more music for storytelling at cue-shop.com. Find Essential Salt at mainpublic.org salt or wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube. On our next episode of Essential Salt, a problematic bird, disappearing moose, and the search for the elusive eastern cougar. And I'm looking up the tracks, and I can see something moving. And as it got closer, I could see this too. And um, an animal walked out on the far side. At first, I thought they were like dogs. But he did have a certain slink to him, which I thought was a little odd for a dog. And as it got closer, I said, those ain't dogs. Those ain't even walking like dogs. Stocky legs, a tawny color. Those are big, big cats. But those are stories for another day. I'm Lucy Suchak. Thanks for listening. <laughs>